Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Morning, Augie. Morning, Nia. How are you? I um, am feeling a little puny today. How are you? Uh, I'm feeling a little rough, too. Um, I think people will be able to hear it in our voices. The allergy season in Richmond has kicked in. Uh, that is definitely true. And uh, also for our listeners, uh, Nia and I both have uh, completed our uh, COVID-19 vaccination. Which we are very grateful for. Yes. Uh, however, uh, like many recipients, uh, the vaccinations did kick the proverbial uh, butt in both, <laughs> for both of us. Um, um, so uh, yeah, but I'd rather get the vaccine part than the actual COVID part. So oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. So don't, uh, don't get me wrong, but nevertheless, um, for those of you who've not received the vaccine, please do get it. Uh, but also be aware that, like any uh, good vaccine. Um, it's going to screw with your immune system. <laughs> yep. And that if you live in Richmond, especially, it's going to be um, on top of the normal flow of allergy symptoms that you are currently having because Richmond, I didn't have adult allergies until I moved here. And all of a sudden now every spring, I just uh, basically snot my way through and I know that's gross I apologize for for saying it that way but I don't know how else to say it um and, and for me it, me and manifest um uh in a voice uh that sounds like I spent uh the night before in a bar smoking cigars and drinking scotch um, and perhaps yelling at the tv for your favorite sports team yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You got that kind of rough, or, or like we've been to a concert where we sang along the entire time. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. And a really uh, loud concert. Now, we're not talking about like a low key, chill, you know, Yanni concert. Yeah, yeah. This we're is talking you know, about the, the, yeah, this Stones or Metallica or something where you're just, you're screaming at the top of your lungs, waving your arms, and then you walk out in the parking yeah. lot and you sound like we sound now. Um, yes. But so, nevertheless, <laughs> uh, uh, we uh, uh, we are going to uh, once again. For John. Yes, uh, and we're going to continue uh, our discussion of uh, commissions, government commissions, um, and the one uh, uh, we're going to cover today, and perhaps uh, a couple addition additional podcast episodes, is um, one of the most powerful government commissions in the history of the United States. Um, and one, if I dare say, uh, probably should get more attention um, in our schooling. Um, Absolutely. And, and it's the Kerner Commission. And the reason one of the, that we're saying we're probably gonna end up with more than one episode is it's a very involved report. It's 400 and some pages. Um, it also is trying to answer huge questions about uh, all kinds of issues in the United States. But the first thing we should warn listeners is that the language is of its time. And this was uh, 1967, 1968. And so, at, at the time, academics referred to our communities of color, specifically um, our African-American community of color, as Negro. And so you will hear that word over and over and over. That's not a word we would use today, um, but it is a word that was used in its time. And we don't want to rewrite history um, away from what people were saying because we don't want to reinterpret that. So we will be using, when we do quote, we will be using quotes that are actual from the report, accurate quotes, and they may have language that's um, difficult for the modern ear to hear. Um, and along those lines, Nia, uh, a second warning for our listeners. Uh, the Kerner Commer Commission um, wades deeply into uh, issues um, that still affect the United States today. So we're going to be talking about um, structural racism. Um, we're going to talk uh, about white racism. 
Um, we're going to talk about responses to Kerner Commission conclusions and findings um, that will resonate uh, with many listeners even today. Um, so we're going to be talking about um, protests. Um, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the response of government officials um, that may be disappointing to some um, and for others uh, will be quite acceptable. Um, so um, uh, these next couple episodes um, uh, hopefully will highlight for us once again the value of civil discourse because the issues are difficult, um, but uh, we endeavor uh, to go ahead and give them a full and balanced discussion. Um, so, yeah, skimming um, over isn't our, in our nature, either one of us as a person. No. Um, it's <laughs> yeah. also not in the nature of this podcast to to try to pretend that things that the picture is rosier than it is or um, or bleaker than it is right like we try to we try to be realistic in our approach so one of the things that we've done with commission reports is we start with um, the precipitating event right which is um, the problem with the precipitating event as far as i can tell with the kerner commission that it would be approximately 150 years right there's no precipitating event in the sense that what you're talking about is pervasive mistreatment Racism. right right yes. pervasive mistreatment constant mistreatment all the way back to the horrors of chattel slavery and then once you even get past that and you think oh good no there's there's hierarchical Jim Crow issues in the South, there's hierarchical issues in the North. Let's not forget that the North was not completely a safe place for, for um, folks of color either. So there yeah, is no I mean, one precipitating, I mean, really, or, or am I getting that wrong? That, do no, you no, think no, 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 no. To any it, one thing? No, in many ways, Nia, you are correct. Um, it culminated in the summer of 1967 uh, because as historians, political scientists, sociologists uh, refer to uh, uh, the summer of 1967 as the long, hot summer. Because it was during that summer where you had riots in, you know, Detroit, Michigan, right? Uh, this was on top of, of uh, riots in Latino uh, communities in 1965. You had the Watts riots in LA in 1965. Uh, Chicago had riots in 1966. Um, you had the Newark riots in 1967. Um, so there was pressure on President Lyndon Baines Johnson to do something, right? Um, and, you know, if you think about, for instance, the civil rights movement in the United States, many political scientists argue that the civil rights movement cannot be cabined by a decade, right? Yeah, or, we usually think of it as the 60s, but... Yeah, I mean, you know, the way course, I teach... The way I teach going it, back what 50 years before that, right? Yeah, the way you know, the way I teach it in US constitutional law is, you know, you can date the civil rights movement to Brown versus Board of Education in 1954. But Brown versus Board was, you know, easily a 30 year effort by the NAACP Legal Defense Fund to go to court to get policy change because the political branches were unwilling to do it. But the NAACP wasn't the first African-American group attempting to get civil rights change in our country's history. So right. you are correct. But the precipitating events were, you know, three years of riots, primarily in urban areas, right? And, you know, President Johnson, um, uh, he had to do something, right? 
you know, and, 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 and again, you know, to put this in historical context, it was President Johnson who pushed for Congress to pass the 1964 Civil Rights Act, right? The 1965 Voting Rights Act, uh, the uh, 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 creation of Medicaid and Medicare, right? You know, so the Johnson administration, you know, you know, had stakeholders who were like, okay, we have the laws, but what are you gonna go ahead and do to change uh, the conditions for many people of color in our urban communities. So he created a commission, okay? He created a commission. Um, uh, it is named after um, uh, uh, Otto Kerner. He was the governor of Illinois. He was the chair, um, the vice chair, was John Lindsay, who was the mayor of New York City. Um, it, Interesting, Chicago and New York, right? Yes. Yep. Two huge cities yep. in the United States represented on the first, at the first part of the commission. I mean, that's not accidental. That's, no. that's Johnson, that's smart Johnson saying, you know what, cities are, are where these things are happening. Because I'm not trying to be ugly, but there weren't really all that much in the way of rural riots, right? Like, yeah, you're correct. That's not how yeah. riots work. Riots work with density. You can only get a riot when you have enough density that you have enough people in one spot in order to fuss, right? So in the rural areas, that that's not what you were having. When you were naming all of those places, you were naming large cities, right? Newark and Los Angeles and New York and Detroit, those are all big cities. And you also had representation from uh, the state of Massachusetts where Boston's located. Uh, 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 Senator Ed Brooke. Uh, you had uh, Congressperson uh, uh, Jim Corman from California. Um, you also had um, some private sector uh, and uh, interest group representation. Um, so you had Roy Wilkins, who was the uh, executive director of the NAACP. Um, uh, um, I.W. Abel uh, from uh, the United Steelworkers of America. So labor unions were represented. You had a police chief from Atlanta, Georgia, um, uh, Herbert Jenkins. Um, um, so it's a nice mix of people. Yeah, you also in the had, sense uh, of people yeah. trying to get at the question, and I'm assuming that at least some of these folks were people of color. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That it was not an all white commission, which would not have been a good look, no. or would not, and and would also not have gotten to the bottom of the problem because you need a mixture of viewpoints in order to have a discussion about something like systemic racism. You yeah, I mean, in, in, in a group listeners... of white people could not have solved that. Yeah, I mean, in, in, in the, you and I have talked about this with some of the other commissions. Um, when commissions have been criticized, one of the common criticisms is that the commission was not large and diverse enough. Right. Right. Um, now, officially, Nia, uh, the, the title of the commission was the National Advisory Commission on Civil Disorders. Civil disorders, like yeah. mental disorders only. <laughs> yeah, right. Only in civics. That's an interesting. <laughs> okay. That's an interesting uh, phrasing. I do. Um, can I just point out from your list? and from the list of prior commissions, uh, we don't see very many, if any, women. No. We did see women on the NASA commission, uh, on the Challenger commission, but we don't generally see a lot of women involved in this because at this time, we're not seeing a lot of women in Congress, right? We've, we've got Shirley Chisholm and Barbara Boxer, but I don't know that we have 
anybody else. Like it's not a. Yeah, the Kerner Commission only had uh, one female, and that was uh, Catherine Peden, uh, and she was the Commissioner of Commerce for the state of Kentucky. And I'm not entirely sure how she ended up on there yeah right i mean get me a woman get me a woman to put on this commission okay and and this is not to disparage the the former commissioner of commerce but the commissioner of commerce okay is is not a big time position in the state of kentucky i mean nia i actually had to look it up just to know what it did and where it fell on the executive branch, you know, flow chart in the state of Kentucky, right? <laughs> and mind you, uh, listeners, I teach state and local government. So I'm typically pretty aware of, you know, what are the big statewide positions in most states, right? I mean, you kind of sort of learn that, you know, you study it enough, you teach it. And the Commissioner of Commerce, okay, is, you know, is, is basically, um, you know, to give you the federal government executive branch equivalent, it's like the Department of Commerce in the federal government. And the Department of Commerce is not one of the largest departments in the federal government, right? Although okay. it does the most stuff. Oh, it's the oh. most diverse Oh, hey. I promise you, listeners, that if you've ever wondered what agency does some weird thing that you think, oh, I wonder who manages, you know, I don't know, some little esoteric thing, it's probably commerce. Because well, commerce I mean, seems to be like the kitchen. You know that drawer in your kitchen where you put all the weird stuff that doesn't fit anywhere or you don't really have any place for it. it's that's like the department of commerce so maybe that's why she was there because it's sort yeah, of an eclectic i apologize to her for missing her i didn't i didn't realize that i had missed a woman on the commission um but the the commission was um uh charged um uh, july 28 1967 um and it finished its work seven months later in 1968 um, it produced a 426-page report, and interestingly enough, it was a bestseller on the New York Times bestseller list. Okay, that's interesting. I, I think the 9/11 Commission was a bestseller. Yes, as yep. well. It's interesting to me when people really want, they want to know and they want to read about it. Like that's a it says something about us as a nation when things are like that and when things aren't. I mean, one of the positives of this is that it it, it was a bestseller, right? It was people wanting to talk about these uncomfortable issues and these uncomfortable questions that are brought up by the commission. But I wanna go back to this, if we could, to the sort of I think sometimes I think that it is a human uh, it's human nature to think that we are living in the worst time politically like we say that now but the late 1960s saw enormous political unrest right like you had protests over Vietnam and you had all these and there's all the other race, there's there's racial issues, there's the war issue, there's um, in 68, you see the deaths of Martin Luther King Jr. and um, Bobby Kennedy. And Bobby Kennedy. And, and so there's leading up to that, there are other civil rights leaders who had been, um, who had been killed. And so there's this. And also 1968 um, was, the uh, protests at the Democratic National Convention. Okay. Oh, the Chicago Seven. Okay, um, where uh, Mayor Daley of the city of Chicago basically turned the Chicago Police Department loose um, on the quote hippie protesters at the Democratic National Convention. 
And that would have been in the summer of 68. And this came out in January of 68. So it's not surprising that it's a bestseller, right? It's it's the hot discussion of the day. It's every day in the news. This is coming up every day in the news. There's unrest and there's and there's all this stuff. And so people wanting to understand what's going on, it wouldn't be super surprising that they would grasp anything that would try to help them understand that situation. Yeah, I mean, we Americans, I mean, political scientists, historians have long remarked that we Americans have uh, 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 a short-term political history focus. We believe that what we're experiencing in our time is brand new, okay, has never been experienced before, is the most significant series of events in our country's history. But I mean, if you think about, for instance, the protests last summer, Nia, um, they were dealing with some of the same issues that we saw in 65, 66, 67, and 68, okay? Right. Um, you know, the country's debt to pay for its original sin, which is what many political scientists and historians refer to in regards to slavery, the country's original sin, okay? Um, you know, we see this, okay, throughout our history. We've had years where, you know, African-Americans, okay, and their allies, okay, push back and say, we're not dealing with this anymore. We want change, okay? Um, you know, it happened in the 60s. It happened in the 50s, right, okay? Um, you know, we saw it in the 1930s, okay? Um, and it wasn't just, you know, poor African-Americans, it was poor people in general in the United States, right? Um, we saw this during Reconstruction. The promise of the Civil War and the Civil War Amendments, 13, 14, and 15, okay, got, you know, quickly um, uh, eradicated by what went on um, uh, after the Reconstruction. Um, right, because um, you can put anything you want into law, but until you change the fabric of society, yes, laws are irrelevant. I, and I don't mean laws are irrelevant, like, ooh, please don't take that out of context. Oh, I hope that doesn't end up on the internet somewhere. Librarian no, 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 says no, no, laws but, are but, irrelevant. But, but, but me, but, I say that- But they are- I, I say that in class all the time, okay? Um, just because, for instance, you get a Supreme Court ruling that protects your rights or your group's rights doesn't mean behavior is going to change. Right. Okay. Right. It was technically perfectly legal for folks of color to vote. But by putting in poll taxes, by putting in tests, by putting in all kinds of things, making it difficult. And even now, modernly, you see huge waiting lines in black neighborhoods right it's a discouragement yes. it we're not saying we didn't say you couldn't vote you just have to be devoted to voting right like in a way that white people aren't and so or are not necessarily depending on the neighborhood it well it depends on the neighborhood but also too you know and i just got done discussing this in my intro class nia you know for those who aren't used to exercising the vote, the suffrage, right? I mean, we know this with young people. We know this with children. Until they get used to doing something, it's difficult. And if it's difficult, they're more likely to get frustrated. And when right. they get frustrated, okay, they don't want to do it, right? You know, and, 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 and I gave the example to my students, you know, my daughter's learning fractions right now, right? Oh, fractions are terrible. <laughs> okay. And she's struggling with it. Yeah. So when that homework is assigned for fractions, okay, you know, I spend as much time pumping her up, okay? To do the I homework. <laughs> as I do the homework, Yeah. right? 
Fractions are great. You're going to love fractions. No, I'm not, Daddy. Yes, you are, because fractions are your friend. Okay, and then I try to, you know, give her practical examples of why learning fractions is important in everyday life, right? You know, I, I try various techniques. I said, likewise, if we make voting difficult, and that difficult experience happens in certain communities more than other communities. Right. Right. And we're suppressing the vote. Okay. Then it's not a big surprise that voter turnout in certain communities is lower. Right. And if you couple that with the fact that there have an understandable distrust of the system, you know, it's the concept of efficacy. If you don't believe the system works for you, you're less likely to engage the system. Right. Right. Okay. So if you're, you know, if your family's poor and is struggling and your mother's generation was poor and struggled and your grandmother's generation was poor and struggled, then you basically believe the system doesn't work for you and people like you. So you're already skeptical that going to vote is going to make a damn bit of difference. And then you get there and the line is four hours. Four hours. And okay. somebody wants you to stand. Okay. And then they would then they want a voter ID because right. they don't trust your claim that you are who you say you are. Right. Right. Okay. And then they challenge your ballot because you didn't fill it out correctly. Or back in the day in this period of time, they say, great, here's the test. We'd like you to recite the first 10 um, amendments to the constitution, go. Or be able to read it, right? I mean, that was, that was one of the practices, a literacy test, right? If you couldn't read a provision of a state constitution, and mind you, Nia, you and I have talked about this, right? Okay. We have examined clauses of the U.S. Constitution where we spent 55 minutes, okay, unpacking, one, how to read it, but then two, what is, it, what is its meaning? Right. Right? I don't have a job, okay, teaching constitutional law if governing constitutions were easy to read and easy to understand. Right. I mean, anybody who's ever Anybody who's ever briefed a court case... <laughs> knows that Byzantine language is the language in which government writes. Sure. How, right? how can we make this more complicated? It's almost like government is paid by the word. Okay. I mean, you know, the example I give in my bureaucratic politics class is, hey, guys, when you filled out the financial aid form to receive, <laughs> okay, federal government aid to go to college, Okay, I challenge any of you to claim right now that you understood every question and every part of that form. Because I said, when I filled it out, I didn't. And my university, okay, called me in and claimed that I was attempting to commit fraud. I was just like, I don't even know what those clauses meant, <laughs> right? I was guessing. Okay, Yeah. right? So, you know, you put all this together, right? And it's not a big surprise that we see this stuff happen over and over and over again. And the Kerner Commission, okay, attempted to go ahead and say, you want to know why this stuff keeps on happening? You want to know why we have groups of people who are rioting? who are tearing up their own neighborhoods, right? I mean, the Kerner Commission actually addresses, you know, that, right? You know, one of the critiques of rioters is that they frequently riot in their own neighborhoods, okay? And for a lot of people, particularly white folks, they're like, that doesn't make any sense. Except, Why would you? Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Except, Except it does... if, you don't, if you don't believe that you own what's in your neighborhood, if one, because you're not allowed to own what's in your neighborhood, like you try to get a small business loan as a black 
owner, right, go, going to a bank, at the, especially at this time, would have been virtually un, impossible. So the stores in your area aren't owned by you. The homes in your area aren't owned by you. They're rented, right? You don't own any of that stuff. So when you set fire to it, you're not setting fire to your own stuff. You're setting yes. fire to a system that refuses to allow you to own your own stuff and to build your own way in the world. So it's not it, super it's, surprising, but yeah, white people are like, why are you setting fire to your stuff? Because it's not my stuff. It's it, like that. It's like that. That scene at the end of Spike Lee's movie, "Do the Right Thing." Okay. I haven't seen it. Okay, there is a scene near the end of the movie, uh, 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 "Do the Right Thing," a very powerful movie made by Spike Lee, where uh, uh, African Americans torch. Okay, an Italian pizza shop owned by, okay, a white Italian. And the owner is just like, you know, I, I've been, you know, serving you, you know, <laughs> slices of pizza for years. Why would you guys do this? Right. And the reaction of many of them was, okay, because, okay, you own the shop, right? We don't own anything here, right? We're, we are left at the vagaries of your mercy, you wanting to go ahead and feed us, okay? Okay, you know, we're not in control. Right. Right. You make money off of us, okay? And if you choose not to go ahead and treat one of us all that well, okay? We're just supposed to go ahead and take it. Well, after right. a while, we just aren't going to take it. Okay. We're not going to take it. Okay. So Which... when you think about the Kerner Commission, okay, in many ways, I mean, it had an impossible task. Right. Yeah. I mean, Johnson, Johnson did. Y'all need to tell me why this is happening. Well, how much time do you have, Mr. President? Yeah. Because we've got a 428-page book that probably doesn't fully cover it. Like, and, and, Johnson asked, and Johnson asked three questions of the commission. Okay. What happened? Why did it happen? And what can, what can be done to prevent it from happening again and again? And those are direct quotes. That's what Johnson posed to the commission. That's, you know, I'm not trying to be ugly about President Johnson, but could you please explain to me why we're here on this earth, right? Like that's a, that's a huge question for them to try to tackle. In, in fairness to the commission, that's a really hard. Yes. That's a really hard mission. I mean, our previous commissions we're trying to solve problems that you could actually get your hands around. And, and I think that probably part of the Kerner Commission's problem is it's not just one problem. It, if you can figure out, people, people riot for a variety of reasons. They don't riot because there's one thing they're mad about. They're mad because there's a culmination of years of, of, being mistreated and being you know shut out and all those that that sort of bubbles up in this in, in, this in the fury that that is completely reasonable because it's a it's a totally reasonable response to you know and the grievances can on on one hand look different but you can probably make connections right right you know so some of the grievances are economic Right. You know, you know, where is the opportunity for folks like me and my community? Right. Some of it is, you know, uh, uh, so that's economic equality. You know, some of it is political equality. Right. Um, when are. You know, when is the government going to go ahead and create policies that benefit me and my community? When will uh, the government have leaders that look like me 
and my family and my friends and my neighbors. Well, and reflect my cultural experience. Yes, right. You know, my right? needs, my desires, etc. When does my when does my history find its place in yeah. pu public and then, policy? And then the third is social equality, right? Okay. Um, when am I going to be able to have the kind of liberty, the kind of freedom, um, the the kind of of you know American dream? Okay. Right. When that, can I move out to the suburbs with a house with a white picket fence and two point four children and point five dogs and whatever? Yeah. The, I mean, okay. You know. Are. You know. When can my you know when can my kids aspire to go to Harvard, Yale? Right. And in the Ivies. Right. Uh, you know, when can my kids actually walk down the street um, and not be uh, profiled simply because of their skin color? Right. Right. You know, when can my kids go ahead and choose their partner without worrying about um, being discriminated against uh, because their partner happens to be the same sex? Right. I mean, or an opposite race. Oh yeah, right. Right, which at yeah. this time was huge, right? You loving v. Virginia is around this time as well. Sort of this yeah, idea of yeah, yeah, nineteen sixty-seven, right? Right. So, a lot of it. it President President Johnson was like, "Give me a problem to solve," and the and the Kerner Commission, which I think we will get to in the next episode, like of of the reaction, but their basic response was, "Well, sir, you need to fix society." Yeah, right, I mean, like, so, so, Nia, what I would like to do for the last roughly 15 to 20 minutes of this episode is just list the conclusions. Okay. And then in, then in the next episode, let's unpack their conclusions and what the reactions were to them, okay? Awesome. Because, because the reactions to them, okay, um, were almost as stunning as the actual conclusions, <laughs> okay? So the, the, first, uh, the, the first conclusion I, I wanna draw our listeners' attention to is, is one that is one of the most quoted passages in the history of race relations in the United States, okay? Quote, our nation is moving toward two societies, one black, one white, separate and unequal. Okay. Um, the report, okay, did not pull any punches, Nia, right? It just came out and indicted white America, okay? And here's another quote from the report. What white Americans have never fully understood, but what the Negro can never forget is that white society is deeply implicated in the ghetto. White institutions created it, white institutions maintain it, and white society condones it. So the Kerner Commission you know, took head on Okay, this idea that white folks were not to blame. They challenged it right at its root and just went ahead and said, if we want to end these protests, these riots, okay, or in the euphemistic language of civil disorder, if we want to end civil disorders, then white America needs to look in the mirror and say, how did we create this? How did we create this? Right. Which okay. I know we're going to unpack later. Yeah. Because there's a lot to that. I mean, there's a lot to, you know, redlining and segregation and all kinds of things. That... Okay. Well, speaking of but... which, here are some of the other conclusions. Okay. Uh, the Kerner Commission uh, went ahead and took a, a, a looked at um, the settlement or housing patterns of African-Americans in metropolitan areas, um, concluding 
that zoning ordinances and banking and lending practices like redlining contributed to it. Um, the Kerner Commission uh, went ahead and mentioned um, that uh, employment opportunities um, uh, uh, were not as great for African-Americans. The Kerner Commission also went ahead and criticized the demark demarcation of urban areas and suburbs, identifying white flight as already an issue. Nia, let, let, let me go on just a little bit more, okay? Because they have a whole bunch, right? Um, the Kerner Commission criticized federal and state governments for failed housing, education, and social service policies, saying that many of the um, quote-unquote welfare programs were designed by whites to benefit whites. And by the way, it wasn't just the government that the Kerner Commission criticized. The Kerner Commission report criticized the media, okay? And as we'll get to in the next podcast episode, the media didn't respond all that well, okay? Quote, the press has too long basked in a white world looking out of it, if at all, with white men's eyes and white perspective, okay? I mean, it basically took a shotgun, <laughs> the Kerner Commission did, aimed at American society and said, pretty much all parts of American society should get hit by buckshot, okay? Okay, um, like I said, it's a 426 page report. And as you're reading it, okay, um, it was boom, boom, boom. Okay, they were just, you know, use whatever metaphor you want. You know, they took a bat to the pinata that was American society and just kept on swinging and swinging. Okay. One of the quotes that you had in here, which I think is, is um, fascinating is uh, <clears throat> cities will have Negro majorities by 1985 and the suburbs ringing them will remain largely all white unless there are major changes in Negro fertility rates, in migration settlement patterns or in public policy. Yep. And that is true. It's still true today. Like, uh, okay. Setting aside New York, which has Manhattan, which is hugely a white area. White so upper like, class rich. Right. Yes. It's kind of a mutant. I mean, I'm not trying to be ugly to people in New York, and I'm sure y'all are very nice. But New York's a little different. But, but of the other major cities, that's happened. Detroit, that's happened. Los Angeles, that's happened. Atlanta, that's happened. Where downtown and and the way whites refer to that is urban right so that's why and 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 uh just as a side note here it's a little frustrating the dog whistle language that gets used because if you go to libraries and you ask for urban literature what you're asking for is african-american literature and it's insane because it's Toni Morrison did not write urban literature, right? Like that, she just wrote literature, right? But anyway, separate issue. Um, but you get those cities where the inner city or the urban center is run down and it's not, I mean, the, the physical, the financial investment policies are such that it's not invested in, in a way the schools are not invested in the the roads and the buildings and all that and then you get that ring around the outside of the of the suburbs 
where white folk live and their schools are financed and their roads are financed and they live in great big rambly houses that are on separate lawns and right it, it I mean it is a clear problem that still exists that it's um, that Kerner was pointing out in 1967 yelling this is a problem this is this is a problem because it is by its nature unequal the the equity problem here is horrific yeah we didn't have the language that that has arisen since well what the Kerner Commission was referring to is white flight right okay um where you know who's left in these large cities right well who's left are poor people okay of all races but primarily people of color right okay you know who who has escaped i mean listen to the language who escapes to the suburbs okay you know white folks okay who work in the urban areas during the day but at night okay take well-paved roads usually federal interstates okay out of the cities into the suburbs right where they have nice roads nice houses and well policed maintained subdivisions right Okay. Right. With kids. plenty of food and plenty of infrastructure. Like there yeah. aren't food deserts in the in suburbs. In the suburbs. No, right? They got good schools. Okay. You know, they got museums. They got, you know, uh, you know, baseball stadiums. You know, they got, you know, high school football stadiums that will rival, you know, stuff that you see in the pros, right? Right. Okay. This is all the stuff that goes on, right? Now, on one hand, you can't go ahead and tell folks, okay, we're gonna stop you from moving, you know, voting with your feet, if you will, okay? Because, you know, that's anti-American, you know, that's anti-freedom. On the other hand, look who's left behind, right? You got a whole bunch of folks living in cities, okay? where their tax base has fallen. Why? Because the high income earners have left for the suburbs. So their tax bases decline, right? Um, uh, 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 the, the, the services are not as good, right? You know, so your schools, your police departments, your social service departments, they're not as good because there's not enough money, right? Okay, well, you you got to be a martyr to want to go ahead and teach in a city public school, right? Where it should be the con converse, right? You know, we should want to go ahead and have our best teachers there. Okay, instead, okay, we're not paying them because there's no money. Yeah, and go then, ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, you get that. And now what you're getting is young people want to move back into the city, right? Because they want city life and walkability and all that stuff. But now you get gentrification where people who were in that neighborhood who could, who could afford that neighborhood can't afford that neighborhood anymore because. And we offer developers tax breaks and incentives to quote unquote revitalize neighborhoods in cities right okay we actually incentivize a process okay where those who could afford to live there as you just mentioned okay have their apartment buildings converted to condos and townhouses so they have no place to live right so, so they end up in a suburb but they don't end up in a white suburb they didn't they end up in a black suburb or in a in a suburb of color that's because right. and and so that's where you get things like richmond where you have the west end which is a relatively well-to-do suburb and you get the east end which is a relatively not well-to-do and i'm not saying that that there aren't a mixture of folks in, in both places but it's pretty 
mean, but that is the that Richmond is, the, is pretty segregated still. We're in yeah. 2021, and we still have the segregation that the Kerner Commission is talking and warning of, like that this is a, as you were saying, there's two societies. There's a black society and a white society, and so that that's they were prescient in that this is still this is going to continue to be a thing and it's going to get worse if we don't do something about it yeah. so um so i would like uh for us to follow up on that if we could in the in the next episode and follow up not only on the various things that they talked about but then people's reaction to it because i'm fascinated by that um by people's yeah, reaction because, to the report yeah because listeners when he and I start talking about some of the reactions to the report, it will be eerily similar to what we have seen in the last 12 to 18 months in the United States. Exactly. I mean, you will feel the, like we're talking about now. Yeah, you're going to be like, are they talking about 2021? No, we're talking about late 60s, early 70s. It is, it was shocking to me as I was doing the research, I was just like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going back into a time warp, right? I mean, you know, where we can't escape, you know, this is like a bad science fiction movie where we're all being sucked up into this big black hole, right? Right. And we're just twirling around and around and you're just like, please let it stop, right? Because you're right. just like, this is just eerily similar. Right. But anyways, so that's going to be our next podcast, uh, next episode. All right. So thanks, Augie, for talking about this and listeners. We'll see you next time. Sounds good, Nia. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU libraries. Special thanks to the workshop for technical assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.